Welcome to the second episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics, but the joke's on us, damn publisher, because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact, must use them. I'll let you in on all the rules, but first, let's welcome my guest with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number two. A natural for this segment as one of the two hosts of Nightcast and uh, one of the essay writers in the newly released book about the Batman 66 series, Zlonk Zok Zowie. Welcome to the show, Chris Franklin. Hey, Cisco. How's it going? This uh, issue does have some challenges. A lot of flying animals, uh, bats, birds, wings, planes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> planes, trains, and Batmobiles, yeah. <laughs> Even though... We've got Batman in our line, so this is going to be the, the best-selling of all these who's editing. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for whoever gets the E issue, you know. <laughs> Elongated Man well, as the Elongated lead. He's the Superman of that universe, yeah. <laughs> so for the second time, here are the rules each episode of Who's Editing will go by. Our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured and every non-HQ location. If there are two heroes sharing an entry, and it happens in this issue, we can give them separate series or give one of them a series or give them a shared series. We can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to, but we can only name a single villain or whatever entry from the issue to receive that honor. No dandidioing here. So imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other so we can reboot characters or we can use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that we are each pitching our own ideas, so we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. Listeners, you decide which books you'd actually want to read. With issue two of Who's Who, uh, we have to include a minimum of 21 books in our line. So uh, we're a big part of DC and probably whatever happens, there's a big Batman family thing going on. So it's not going to look all that different from the actual DC universe. <laughs> But there are also some morts in here. Uh, Chris, I'm going to hand it off to you first and we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order. Uh, but we'll keep our bonus villain or other entry series for the end. Okay. This issue starts with Auto Man, speaking of Mort's. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what what did you have in mind for Auto Man? Well, I, should I should I get into my overall connective tissue pitch for this universe first? My own is just like I did with the original one. I'm thinking I'm, you know, I cover like a third of the DC universe. There are other books out there. There's no, so, so my books don't necessarily, some of them will connect as we'll see, but they're still part of an overall bigger DC universe that I am not in control of. Uh, but last time Ryan did do, uh, okay, this is a compact line. This is the entire DC universe and we can, I can only play with these particular toys. Okay. Did you go the same route? I kind of went a similar route. Yeah. But mine, mine is nerdier. Like, uh, <laughs> With the crisis on Infinite Earth's antimatter wave, fast approaching Earth 1 and Earth 2, Batmite, who is featured in this issue, sets out to save his hero, Batman. As he's done in the past, he ventures to Earth Prime and the offices of DC Comics. There he finds just what he needs, an office copy of Who's Who number two. He uses it as a guide to pull everyone in the book from their respective universes the moment before they perish, in some cases going back in time to do so. And now with his own cast of players to do with as he sees fit, he begins to build a universe around his favorite hero, and Batman literally becomes the center of the DC universe, the only 
characters in the DC universe from this book. There's a few I pull in for little side characters, but that's it. You know, upper management uh, tells him that, hey, everybody's got to have a title if you're going to do this. Uh, so the extra dimensional editors in his, I don't think back then he was supposed to be from Zerf, the same dimension as Mitch Spitalik. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think he was back then. But you know, but anyway, whatever dimension man, uh, or start saying man bat, Batmite was from. Uh, <laughs> getting my bats all mixed up. You know, he's got to give everybody a title, so he gets creative. But it's all the connective tissue is there, and and we'll explore that. So, how do, what does Batmite do with Auto Man? <laughs> Auto Man is an android created by Batman's old friend, Professor Nichols, and he's programmed with Alfred's mental patterns, personality, and memories. He's trying to help Batman in the present, but he's more of a hindrance than a help. And it's an all-ages comedy book. It's basically C-3PO in the Batman universe. Uh, I have it written by Sholly Fish with art by Dario Brazula, who were the team on Scooby-Doo Team-Up for pretty much, I think, the entire run of that book. So I thought that would be a fun all-ages comedy book. I tinkered with the idea of tying the character into 80s nostalgia and the, the old TV series, yes. Auto Man. <laughs> Desi Arnaz Jr., yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the end, I went for a series that takes place in the future where robots are self-aware and are an underclass. So Auto Man and his life partner, Ilda, are out to change all of that as activist heroes, freedom fighters, I guess, uh, by day, posing as... Rich human servants by night, kicking ass, liberating robots. Uh, they're also trying to keep society from exploding like a powder keg, all while hiding their activities from their master. Uh, we're going to tell a story that being divorced from the contemporary DCU can go anywhere, change society itself, and explore how we define life. Uh, there's a bit of a measure of a man from TNG in here uh, in the DNA of this. The artist... I haven't actually built up any creative teams here, uh, but the artists can redesign Auto Man as as, as they like. Uh, but I kind of love Ilda's Jetsons look. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're built. I think it it doesn't have to be one particular aesthetic for robots. You could have like different lines and different looks for robots depending on people's tastes. Uh, so I changed one and not the other. But I would make this a uh, I I don't know. I kind of feel like Magnus Robot Fighter is kind of my uh, my inspiration here for, for Auto Man. Oh, nice. Yeah, you went deep, and I went very shallow and <laughs> on this one, so that's fun. <laughs> well, I think that, I think there is room for all-ages comedy books, and I, I have some. I do have some. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, it, just, a, just a quick aside, the guy, I can't think of his name, the guy that played Auto Man, he ended up being a, ring, a ringleader for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus, and uh, oh, wow. we actually saw him uh, at a performance at least once or twice when we took the kids to see him. It was that I, I recognized him. It was the guy from uh, the guy that played Auto Man. So <laughs> on the TV show, <laughs> what a strange career turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Next, even on the same page as Auto Man is Azrael. Yes, and Azrael in a Batman issue. Uh, but it's not as bats. Yeah. Uh, he didn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, no, it's the lame winged character Marv Wolfman dumped in the new Teen Titans in the ramp up to crisis and who never really paid off. In fact, despite the Titans having a hot book and the character having Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, name, doing the art for the entry, he only rates half a page. That's an indictment. Uh, so <laughs> what would I do uh, with him? Uh, well, he's an alien who crashed in Alaska and was in the ice for who knows how long. So I'm going to go with the the, the Superman route. Mm. Uh, but instead of Krypton, 
it's heaven or the silver city as i think they call it in sandman or so yes i'm basically turning him into zoriel of morrison's jla a literal battle angel fallen from grace but not not enough to send him to hell uh, even though Azrael is a traditional name for a devil. Um, his punishment is just Earth, where he must win back his spiritual wings by doing good deeds and fighting evil. So a bit of Superman, a bit of Thor, too, because he has to learn humility in a context where he's one of the most powerful superheroes in the world. I really need him to have a secret identity, too. So, And I don't think DC's ever really explored the idea of having a clergyman as an alter ego. Mm. But I'm really interested in, I don't know, I... I'm thinking like name of the rose type stories that might come up with putting him in a monastery or as a church warden in a big city cathedral. Uh, I kind of like the sound of St. Rock, the city Hawkman once uh, was attached to for, mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. I guess yeah. <laughs> he's a winged hero and there's the word saint in there. And maybe that would be like his city, his metropolis. But I'm kind of painting him as the, the equivalent of Superman in, in my continuity. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, you know, I almost went that a, direction. A big jump. Yeah. <laughs> that is a big jump. I almost went in that direction, too, because the whole, like, alien and the ice, it made me think of, of the ship in Man of Steel a lot, you know, the movie, which, not a humongous fan of that movie, but, you know, just that, it just popped in my head, but... Uh, I did go with uh, that uh, he is an amnesiac alien in search of his history and his place in the world. He gets absorbed into a cult of religious fanatics who think he's an actual fallen angel. They may possibly be connected to Darkseid. Yes, Darkseid figures in because there's a lot of Jack Kirby characters in this issue. He is brought from space and possibly the past to the present by a mysterious time-space disturbance on Black Hawk Island. But he flies away and is lost for some time. So, uh, yes, this this time disturbance thing will come up a lot. There's uh, I went back to the source and just figured, why heck, why not? Let's just get Jose Luis Garcia Lopez to do the art. And uh, since he did such a great job with uh, the whole uh, angel demon thing in Supergirl, even though it was kind of a strange book to put it in, why not go with uh, Peter David? Peter David and uh, Garcia Lopez on the creative team. Is there a Batman connection? He, there will be. <laughs> okay, I, I, as we discover how this ties into Black Hawk Island, and okay, I, I get it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. What about Babe? Now he's out of DC continuity normally, but now uh, I mean, we can do anything we want with him. Yeah, I have Babe as a cute, cuddly uh, alien. Uh, this is a all ages comic that's uh, geared mostly toward kids. His sidekick is Big Sur. They're like uh, Lenny and the Bunny, except the Bunny can mm -hmm. this Bunny can take it, you know. Because uh, uh, Babe's a big, tough, mountainous alien creature. Just for kicks, I put uh, Blackfire in as their foil. She's constantly being irritated by them, but they don't seem to notice. They think they're all friends, but she can't really stand them. Uh, Batmite shows up occasionally as their great gazoo. Uh, he appears to you know, help them out from time to time. And uh, they have adventures on Earth and in space. And I just I took a look at Big Sur's outfit and says, you know, that would make more sense if he was some kind of alien or, you know, on another planet or something. And I just this just popped in my head that this book would actually be a lot of fun if it was written and illustrated by Franco and Art Balthazar. So I just thought that uh, I actually have usually get to see art at uh, Migo Meet in Ohio. Probably that's not going to well, it's been canceled already. That's not going to happen this year. Uh, but uh, I get to talk to him like once a year and he draws sketches for my kids and stuff. So I, I thought this would be a fun book for him to do. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also had like a Tiny Titans kind of feel to it. The series is actually is called Babe and the Hookah. 
since they both got solo strips in Atari Force, but the Hookah didn't get his own entry, and yet he appears in here in color. So I sort of thought, okay, this is a combo, uh, the Babe and Hookah combo. Mm. He's not in the Serpent or anything. Babe and the Hookah is, like you, just like you, a DC Kids series with silly kid logic. I'm giving it to James Kachalka. Really, in the style of the Glorkian Warrior or Johnny Boo, it's about two best friends. One is a giant toddler. The other is a talking pet that only Babe and the reader understand. Everyone else just hears hookah hookah, just like in the old comics. So it's Calvin and Hobbes on acid uh, with a dash of Tiny Titans. And uh, the annuals each come with a uh, like a, a downloadable MP3 sort of uh, because... You know, Kachalka does trash punk songs, and he's he's done them for his comics sometimes. Oh, cool. You can get, like, these little records. So in this era, we're just giving you the address where you can download a tune or whatever. And he would write, like, these songs specially for the series. He's done it before in, in his own comics. But I think that would be like a – it's like Tiny Titans, but loopier, much loopier, much more kid logic in the way that, that things go. But I think his art style – would go with this idea. That sounds cool. So we kind of we're not too far off the the same page no. on this one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think we both believe in comics for all ages, comics for kids, comics for for different age groups and different. Uh, next up is the Balloon Buster. So uh, given that Black Hawk has several entries in this issue, there's a lot of aerial action in my line of books anyway, in our line of books. So I've decided to create a subline of titles uh, called DC Aces, which is about it's all about uh, aerial action and none of them take place during the same conflict so balloon buster and the cover dress would at first say before black hawk there was balloon buster uh, would be the world war one title enemy ace would be his rival in disguise and a recurring noble antagonist well-researched period stories uh, but the action would always be a little bit over the top this would actually be true of all the DC Aces books to make them, because uh, there was a time when people really wanted to read this kind of comic, the, the you know comics with planes and jet fighters, and I know in French media uh, we had a couple of competing uh, lines of of books about like Buck Danny and Dan Cooper who were these ace pilots. Each company needed to have their aerial ace. So uh, I'm not saying that I can make that be reborn in the 2020s, but uh, I, I'm, we're going to try. We're really going to try. That's cool. Yeah, I, li- I like that. Uh, that, that that's, a, that's a cool pitch. I kind of – there's definitely some connective tissue between – I keep using that term, but there's definitely some connections between Balloon Buster and Black Hawk. But I, of course, had to tie it into Batman as well. So I didn't change a lot about uh, Balloon Buster other than you know his actual name is an alias. He is actually Stephen Kane, Martha Kane's brother. So he is oh. Bruce Wayne's uncle. Uh, he used an alias in World War One so as not to garner privilege for his wealth and social status. And he was thought lost at the end of the war, but he was brought from the past into the present by a mysterious time-space disturbance on Black Hawk Island. Uh, so that, that here, here's that again. I figure this book is a straight pulpy war title set in World War One, and I couldn't think of anybody better than Chuck Dixon, who once wrote Airboy, to write it and Lee Weeks to draw it. I thought that would be a nice combo, nice gritty action combo for that. What about Baron Winters? 
So we got to skip a couple of barons there because they're usually evil barons. Barons are evil. Right, yeah. <laughs> and Baron Winter is kind of, you know, ambiguous. But in this case, uh, what did you want to do with him? Yeah, Baron Winters, I would uh, put him in the Night Force title. I would use the title Night Force. But here he uses reformed villains, reformed in quotes, villains to do his bidding. Basically, they're not really reformed, but he's got something on them to make them assist them. And uh, since, you know, I've, I'm, uh, or Batmite has to use who's in the book, the team includes Black Bison, Black Hand, and Black Briar Thorn, lots of black. Uh, named characters, uh, but they've all got well. Black Bison and Black Briar Thorn at this time uh, had supernatural bents, and you know, of course, Black Hand did later. I don't think I'd get quite as uh, necrophiliacy with uh, Black Hand as <laughs> Jeff Johns did, because that's just icky. But uh, Baron Winters is involved in the disturbance on Black Hawk Island somehow. It's uh, a little murky on did he cause it? Did he just warn them about it? Is because you know, like you said, he's a little. His intentions are quite dubious. But uh, I can see this title being part of the team investigating occult threats and trying to stop them. Uh, but also there could be like a backup story that's basically Baron Winters as a Cain and Abel type horror host. Uh, so there'd be some rotating uh, classic DC type horror mystery title stories. And uh, I figure why not get Doug Mitch and Kelly Jones to, to do this book? I think it would look fantastic and that's right in their wheelhouse. Sure, sure. Some of your ideas are kind of in mine as well. I tend to think that integrating a concept, that this is for me, for my own process doing this, uh, integrating a concept that already has an entry for me is cheating. So I, I try to avoid that. So I didn't want to use Night Force. Okay. I didn't want to call it Night Force. To me, he did always feel like a horror host. It just, you know, it just happened to be taking part in the adventures. He never leaves his house. You know, he has that gargoyle pet equivalent, uh, the, the leopard, Merlin. And we know the house can move through time and has access to other time periods or something. So I'm going the horror anthology route. I took, you know, in episode one with Abel and the House of Secrets, but there is a Night Force twist. Every issue, Baron Winters plays host, not to the reader, but to an actual character that stumbled into the house. And he shows them a tale of the past or future that informs their particular dilemma. It can be about an ancestor or a descendant or their own childhoods or their own future and, or none of that at all, just like a uh, some sort of fable that informs their particular psychology or drama. And they might even be able to participate in those events, not just as observers. And it changes everything for them. That's the, the point is that whatever story is a turning point for the character hearing it or participating in it. And because we have various futures, past, and realities in the line, just by the nature of the entries, I think Baron Winter's Dark... De well, it's called Baron Winter's Dark Mansion. I'm, I'm using that Dark Mansion that DC mm. used to have as an IP. So Baron Winter's Dark Mansion would be a great way to engineer crossovers in, for example the DC Aces books, or uh, bring in characters from Auto Man's future, and so on. Like, the characters that enter the Dark Mansion may or may not be the leads in the book, or just supporting characters, or just ancillary characters, or people that exist in those universes. That would be connective tissue. It would be a way to say, this is all the DC universe, even though it seems like the books take place in different places or times. 
that's that's that i like that that's a that's a that's a neat concept yeah i i'm sorry i didn't realize i wasn't supposed to call it night force so <laughs> uh, no i mean i'm saying that, that those are my personal <laughs> rules you know we could call it baron winners and the black ops team or something right i don't <laughs> Wasn't it Ryan who put Ray Palmer in Challengers of the Unknown? So, I mean... Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of different times and how did, does this all connect, the next entry is Barren Earth. So the Sutherlands would probably like it very much uh, if I just gave Ron Randall the assignment. He was one of the co-creators of right. Barren Earth. But I feel like he and Gary Kahn already told the story they wanted to tell. So... I'm, I'm still, it's the same premise because I really like it. In the far future, the sun has become a red giant and the earth has been scorched. My creative team is free to reinvent the story and take it different places. So long as it stars early comics crush for me, Janal, like a fantasy sci-fi babe of the highest order to me. I would keep the idea that there are pockets of humanity that have evolved to withstand the harsh environment. It's past the year 5 billion. So, you know, uh, we don't even need the bioengineering thing to explain it. Instead, I'd say that Janal and her kind being genetic throwbacks to the humans of today uh, and under fair skin to boot, she needs a lot of sunscreen probably, uh, would be the bioengineered race, you know, holding back nature's course, so to speak. Uh, so I'd make Janal and all of the non-mutant humanity actually dark-skinned. It makes more sense given mm -hmm. the environment. And I would keep the insectoid aliens that tried to invade Earth and left their own pocket of survivors on the barren Earth. And now they've grown enough to attempt a takeover and Janal must unite humanity, whatever that now means, to fight them or maybe strike a compromise. So like I said, I'm going to let my creative team decide where it goes and I'm going to employ probably Gail Simone every time I do this. Uh, she's one of the writers I think is most versatile for for this these kinds of books. She gets a workout with me too in a little bit, yeah. So yeah, so I think I may give this book to her, given her experience with Red Sonia. I think you know that it, it connects there, and I might as well team her up with an old partner. I think Erin Lapresti did some really nice work for her uh, with her in uh, Wonder Woman. And he can certainly do fantasy and good girl art. We've seen him in, for example, some uh, Amethyst strips in, uh, in the New 52. So this is one instance where I did think up of a team. I went in a little different direction. I figured I, I, I combined disasters, basically. So uh, okay. my title would be called, uh, it's, it'd be an event crossover uh, miniseries called Crisis on the Barren Earth. The Earth of the Near Future. It's after the Great Disaster. Darkseid's attempt to turn Earth into Apocalypse. So some of our heroes are recruited by Ben Boxer, who'll show up later, in a last-ditch effort to stop Darkseid's plans to fully change the planet into Apocalypse. A team in the past is also working to prevent the events from happening in the present. Uh, so Janal has a romance with one of the heroes we'll bring up later, and her name is Kate, and that's all I'm going to say for right now. Uh, <laughs> she somehow manages to escape this alternate timeline when it is averted and actually comes into the present. Uh, and I just uh, I went completely old school and said, well, it's a crisis, so why not get Marv Wolfman? And because I wanted to give the Sutherland something to go yay about, I said, well, what? Why not Ron Randall? So <laughs> I went with Ron Randall. So there you go. <laughs> I did tell them that we were doing this, uh, more or less. I just gave them a hint just so we'd have a couple of listeners and extra extra listeners. That's right down there, Alec. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we hit the bat stuff. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first character with the bat name is Batgirl. 
do you reinvent the wheel or is there a bad girl out there that you love already? I didn't reinvent the wheel, but I definitely uh, changed some of the backstory here a little bit that that ties into everything. She is the daughter of Commissioner Jim Gordon, as always, but uh, her mother was Kathy Kane. Uh, yes, and she has a sister named Kate. So that's the Kate we were talking about. Kate, okay. in this case, Kate Gordon. So the, the version of Kate Kane that exists now, but slightly different. Uh, she is an occasional partner to Batman 2 and Robin 2. She often teams with the second Black Canary. And, uh, you know, it's Batgirl. She's not broke, so don't don't fix it too much other than, you know, I, I love Batgirl. So. But I did figure, hey, why not get Gail Simone from who knows Babs very well from Birds of Prey and uh, Marcos Martin, who drew Batgirl year one, which I love. So that's my creative team on that book. That's a good team. I really like the idea of sending Bad Girl to college in the uh, Fletcher Stewart Babstar uh, run on the New 52 book mm-hmm. uh, after Gail Simone left. It was kind of a one-off storyline in the way that it was presented. I'd make it a long-term premise for the book. I'd get Tar on the title as an artist for sure with Barbara Gordon enrolled at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And the reason I want her in D.C., is that I riff on her time as a congresswoman in mm-hmm. the past continuity. But it, it is college-age stuff, so she gets an internship on Capitol Hill, where her detective skills and moral compass get tested. I have another reason for wanting her in that setting. I will only reveal it later. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think for you, it, you know it. I mean, you, you get it immediately because you've already researched the issue. Batlash is next. I don't know if you want to make him a Batman character, uh, <laughs> but I don't even see a reason for for changing Batlash's basic concept, which is Maverick in comics form. You know, uh, I would push it further that way. Batlash as a card sharp with a heart of gold, playing poker all over North America in the 19th century, uh, but his conscience always trumps his wallet in the end. He's not wanted by the law like in the original comics. But he is a scoundrel. He's a con man. He's a trickster, and he makes a lot of enemies on his travels. This is just basically a fun Western. You? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't diverge from that much at all either. I kept the backstory the same. His character is pretty much as you described it. Uh, the only thing I switched up is, once again, he's brought from the past to the present by a mysterious time-space disturbance on Black Hawk Island. And that's later. That's not you know, his title will be set in the West. I figured the team that did the uh, early days of the great Jonah Hex series back in the the 2000s, Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray, and Luke Ross would uh, – Batlash appeared in that title occasionally and, and uh, thought, well, heck, why not give it to them? They do a great job with it. So Okay. Batman. we got two Batman, the Golden Age yep. and the Silver Age, although you might have said, just say, oh, a younger Batman, older Batman. It's all the same Batman. Or I, I don't know what, what you have in mind. So um, what is your first Batman title? My first Batman title is Detective Comics. Uh, It stars the Golden Age Batman set primarily in the Golden Age. This is the first Batman. Bruce Wayne early history is similar to the Golden Age, mentor to Dick Grayson slash Robin. The change begins here because he worked extensively with the Blackhawks in this universe because there's no other superheroes. And the Bat plane was very prominent in the Golden Age. So I thought, you know, there's a there's a Brave the Bold issue from the early 80s. Uh, I think Dave Cockrum drew it, and uh, it uh, was Batman and Blackhawk, and you know Batman's like standing on the wing of one of the planes, and as they're like you know flying in for an attack, and I don't know how that works that he's standing on the wing, but it looked cool, <laughs> and uh, it just kind of stuck in my head. 
So that's a change. He worked with the Blackhawks, and and here comes the big the big swerve. Okay. Uh, he met Black Canary One in 1948, and they married sometime later. So the Batmite looking at this would say, you know what? I it's too obvious to have Batman marry Batwoman, even though she's in this book. And since Black Canary is the premier, you know, other than Batgirl, the other premier superheroine in this book, it's like, well, you know, why not hook them up? Plus, no All Star Batman included in this. There has been hints at a romance between those two over the years. So. Uh, they married. They had a daughter and a son. Uh, we'll get to them later. Uh, <laughs> okay. They were both in the disturbance on Black Hawk Island. Batman, Robin, who I know is not in this issue, but you know you got to have Robin and Black Canary uh, were lost in time for many years. So they reappeared at some point in sliding time scale Captain America type way. Uh, so they are still viable in the present. Line so you can just keep sliding when they disappeared and when they reappeared as as you need as things go along. So Bruce Wayne is still alive. He's the man in the chair uh, in other titles, uh, a little bit like Batman Beyond, but maybe not quite as crotchety and sullen and morose because this is the golden age Batman. And for Detective Comics, I would love to have this title written by Alan Brennert with art by Jerry Ordway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dream team. So he's sort of Oracle in the contemporary timeline, but the book yes. takes place in the 40s. Right. Yes. Right. I didn't go with Golden Age Batman so much as uh, Earth 2 Batman. So Earth 1 Batman is going to have a book called Batman. Spoiler. It's, it's coming up next. Yeah. And, but I haven't gone with Detective Comics as a title for my second Batman book. Instead, I'm reviving the title Batman Family. I almost called it Mr. and Mrs. Batman. <laughs> this is about a slightly older gentleman Batman married to a reformed Catwoman. Uh, and they do have kids, 13-year-old Helena, and an elementary school son called Tommy. They can have an Uncle Dick in there. This is a book that has a family feel. It isn't The Dark Knight, but it, it isn't quite Batman 66 either as far as pushing the, the camp element. Rather, it's Batman as a respected Gotham celebrity who can walk down the street in the middle of the day and sign autographs. You know, the Bob Haney of Batman. Right. But but he's not going to dance the Batwatuzi or uh, leap to insane and always correct conclusions. You know, a mix. It's it's, it's in somewhere in the middle of that. Good clean art style. Right. I'm imagining stories like uh, one where Catwoman stages a heist he must foil as an anniversary gift each year. You know, uh, Helena starting her training as Huntress. Tommy really, really, really wanting to become Robin and getting into mischief. Batman, pipe and mouth, uh, is like the 1950s dad, but his problems are actually universal. Plus, Batman villains from bygone eras. No Mr. Jazz, uh, but definitely like the terrible trio and characters like that. Maybe more of a Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon uh, feeling, but it, it does take place on Earth 2 with like the older Batman, the post-40s, the post-JSA Batman. Nice. I'd buy the heck out of that. I love the Mr. and Mrs. Superman strip and Superman family. That's why I bought that book. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's similar, isn't it? Uh, for Batman yeah. 2, this is, well, the, 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 you know, the Earth 1 Batman is my standard Batman title. I think, for me, 70s Batman in terms of tone, uh, gray and blue costume with yellow oval and certainly no armor. He's a nocturnal vigilante. He's the iconic Batman for me. Strong detective elements, criminally insane villains. It's the Batman we recognize, but just far enough from my other 
Batman title, you know, to, to, to make sense and not be the same. Uh, Bruce Wayne is in it, which isn't true of many modern takes on Batman, I feel. It's like, you know, you don't see Bruce Wayne much. There are a lot of issues where Bruce Wayne never appears. He doesn't seem to have a life outside of the of the suit. He's on patrol like 24-7. I'll cut to the chase. It's basically the animated series in tone, just with a little more continuing soap opera uh, to it. A recognizable, sympathetic, and yes, kids, still cool Batman. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, mine's not too far off. I Basically, uh, I figured Batman, I kind of wanted to, uh, I really liked John Byrne's Generations miniseries that he did. And I liked uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. Both of those kind of influenced my take on this overall universe. So I wanted to have a Batman 1 and a Batman 2. Uh, I thought about making Dick Grayson Batman 2, but I come up with something else for him. So Batman 2 is... Bruce Wayne the uh, second. I thought about giving him a different name just to uh, to break that up, like Thomas or something like that. But for IP purposes, I figured, well, Bruce Wayne needs to be Batman, so I kept it. <laughs> he has a uh, sister, uh, Laurel uh, Wayne, who is the daughter. Of course, she's the daughter of of uh, Black Canary as well, and he is the Bronze Age Batman, and like you said, Yellow Oval. Bronze Age feel, part super heroics, part detective noir with uh, hints of supernatural occasionally. He has taken on a new Robin. It is Dinah's great nephew, Tim Drake. Okay. I figure, wow, nobody's ever done anything with that connection, so why not? Uh, <laughs> so if I already got Chuck Dixon writing another book, why not have him write Batman? So he's writing Batman and he's reteamed with Graham Nolan, who uh, did Detective Comics together, which I love. So yeah, that's my. Batman comics title. It's bolder, braver and bolder than, uh, than mine or anything that they've ever really done because I feel like, you know, they want that unbroken continuity with Batman and that this is a real different setup for, for the whole thing, him being a second generation, which, you know, they have actually never done right. in the, the main lines. Yeah, I mean, if, if Roy Thomas were working at DC in the 90s, there would be a story where it connects the Drakes. Uh, yes. <laughs> probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he connected, he connected Robot Man and Dick Grayson, right? So, of course, he yeah, would, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. he has to. Um, so, okay, Batmite is up next. He's kind of your uh, Rosetta Stone here. Yeah, he is. So, Batmite gets Batmite Presents 100-Page Super Spectacular. Ooh. That's an anthology book featuring the backstories and the character team-ups that set the stage for all the current storylines and the other titles. It's hosted by Batmite. So, Batmite, I kind of think of the uh, the 100-page Super Spectaculars a lot of times would have, like, they'd use, you know, statted art from old comics and have Batman introduce, this month I ran into a werewolf. Here's the story, you know, that type of thing. But you'd have um, Batmite, you know, popping in, probably with new artwork, not lifted. Although a bunch of lifts of old Sheldon Moldoff Batmites would be kind of cute in this. But he pops in and, you know, says, well, this is how, here's how Batman and Black Canary met, you know. Or, you know, here's the story of when Dick Grayson decided to change his Robin costume. And guess which one he changed it to? Yeah, the Earth 2 Robin costume. So, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I figured this could be written and drawn by various. It's an anthology right. book, so uh, I didn't have a creative team on this one. That's pretty cool. And kind of like what I would have wanted when whenever they reboot a universe. Kind of needs that. Tell us what we missed. Tell us the, the, the history that we don't need to see from point zero, but that 
seems to exist, you know. Batmite for me, it really, it needs to be like that Legends of the Dark Knight issue where he's uh, Kevin O'Neill crit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, ob- <laughs> <laughs> it's not martial law. Uh, obviously, this is an all-ages humor comic where Batmite tricks, annoys, helps, or confounds not just Batman, but I think the entire Bat family, usually in strip form, like like Tiny Titans, where, you know, there's there's no 20-page story. It's all like little stories kind of connected or in Superman Family Adventures uh, by Franco and Balthazar. This is where we see all the Robins. We see Ace the Bat-Hound, the GCPD, Bad Girl and Batwoman, uh, Alfred and Aunt Harriet, all the Gotham villains, whatever else the series wants to pull from Batman history in a humorous light. It's, it's not connected to continuity. Batwoman, I think the... Bat character with a purse stuff, we'll get that in Batman Family. <laughs> so the modern day Batwoman, I think, has made enough of an impression. Kate Kane, she provides LGBT diversity. Uh, she has a strong enough look that there's no reason not to use her instead of the 1950s model. Uh, one of the things I like about Kate Kane's crusade is that she has her own support staff. Her retired colonel father at home who trained her, uh, which I guess is a spin on Alfred. An on-and-off girlfriend in Renee Matoya of the GCPD, so sort of lower-level Jim Gordon in a way. To that cast, I would add Bet Kane, Flamebird, who criminally mm. didn't get an entry in the original Who's Who. She is Batwoman's cousin and would at least initially be her diurnal counterpart the tennis star turned bright hero because she's a bit of a fangirl and she kind of screws things up for kate during the downtime uh taking clues away from crime scenes making crooks change hideouts etc so whenever kate wakes up for her nightly duties it's like who messed with my stuff so and kate eventually <laughs> will find out flamebird is her own cousin and there then there will be a, a difficult batman and robin dynamic that might grow out of that thing. So it's like, it's going to be about the two girls in a way, but Batwoman is definitely, you know, front and center. Mm, That's, that's uh, I like that. I like that approach. I struggled with Batwoman because I was kind of like you. It's like, well, you know, obviously Batwoman's very popular. I mean, she's got her own TV show, you know? So I thought, you know, I'm trying to stick, I was trying to at least initially stick with the more what's in this book. So I thought, okay, I'll come up with something else for Kate Kane, uh, in a in a title that I think uh, down the road that'll make sense. So uh, I went back and uh, went to Kathy Kane. You know she is related to uh, to Br- I kept the relation to Bruce Wayne through Martha. But uh, when the first Batman, Robin, and Black Canary were lost in time for those decades or however long, it, several at least a decade or two, she decided to take up the mantle in Gotham. You know she had no mentor. She fumbled through. She was basically a uh, you know, almost like a, a Mary Tyler Moore as a superheroine in the big city <laughs> type book. You know, she's going to make it after all. <laughs> uh, but uh, she, she was she was learning the ropes, uh, you know, by herself. But she did develop a relationship with Jim Gordon. He was older than her. Probably not the uh, Jim wouldn't be quite the real old stuffy Jim Gordon of the golden age. He'd be more, more like the modern Jim Gordon who's like, a, you know, in his late thirties, early forties with Batman's in his twenties type, you know, but they do have a May, December romance in a way. And they eventually marry and she has gives birth to Barbara and Kate that in the backstory. I mean, not wouldn't necessarily be in this title. This title would be set in whatever that ambiguous 
you know, is it the 60s, 70s era when they're not around, that kind of nebulous time period there um, where there's no other heroes? The, the thing that popped in my head was uh, the scene in that uh, Kingdom crossover, the Planet Krypton issue, where Batman recognizes Kathy Kane even though he shouldn't. So I said, well, why not get Mark Wade and Barry Kitson? So that's who I pulled for this one. <laughs> Very superficial, but I just thought it'd be fun. <laughs> so she's like the Silver Age heroine in the yeah. whole thing, you know? We've got a couple of forever people <laughs> in the book. So yes. that that is a challenge unto itself, taking the forever people out of their context, maybe. So what did you have in mind for Beautiful Dreamer? Okay, I figured they're both in this issue, and they both look a lot alike on the surface, so I figured make her the pacifist sister to Big Barda. Oh. Uh, they were separated during childhood. She comes to Earth with Big Bear to warn heroes about Darkseid's plans and find the anti-life equation, which she can detect... But the Big Bear and her are separated. She's pulled into the life of a fashion model and popular YouTube personality. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she gets so wrapped up in that that she sometimes forgets what she's supposed to be doing. The Batman villains are still present in this universe. And I just couldn't help it. I decided because of the use of the song Beautiful Dreamer in Batman 89, the Joker is obsessed with this woman. He's madly in love with her and he keeps trying to chase her down so she has to keep the joker off of her at all times and this this joker is not nearly as as disturbingly scary as the joker of the modern comics but i figured uh why not get mark evanier to write this and uh hey where's steve rude let's have him draw it okay. so i thought that'd be a cool looking book yeah, yeah no, <laughs> interesting and i like how uh, you've connected Beautiful Dreamer and Big Barda because it's it's kind of the Orion and Mister Mirror, you know Orion and Calabac or something. It, there is, uh -huh. I like that connection. <laughs> I've decided to divorce them entirely from the Forever People. You know, I think the characters are maybe stronger without it. Beautiful Dreamer then is a solo heroine. She's not a new god. She's just someone with an intimate connection to dreaming. I'm going to give credit to the girls from Rohatmu, uh, or not, who inspired me uh, when I was really hitting a wall on this one. But basically, her adventures all happen while she's sleeping and end with her waking up in a different place or reality, uh, which sometimes is the DCU you recognize and, you know, from other titles, or sometimes it's not. But the fact that she keeps waking up, even from what looks like reality, makes it just like, you know, it's Inception. And in these realities... And she might guest star in other books just to make it more mysterious. She might have abilities or powers she doesn't have in others. And each reality has its own art style and rules, uh, either by using different artists or someone who is really an artistic chameleon. Like uh, like I like uh, Dial H for Heroes, Joe Quinones. Uh, he can really do different styles, or at least he's shown it in that book. And even though we're always in a different dream, there's a consistent supporting cast and a rogues gallery... It just gets a little tweaked and changed depending on the reality we're in. And maybe, just maybe, we're seeing everything through her eyes. And she herself is projecting an illusion over reality, one that only she and we can see. So there, there may be like a real reality, but whatever we're seeing is actually a sort of fantasy or it ties into the powers that Beautiful Dreamer has. In the fourth world comics. This is this may be a strange one, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a great take on just taking the name and running with it. That's yeah, I agree. That's strong. Yeah, that that could be a. Are they still doing Young Animal? I don't know if they're doing that, but if they are, 
it, it, it could be a young animal title. For yeah, sure, it really right does. Yeah, it's it's really that kind of that kind of feeling. Um, from Kirby to Kirby, but a completely different book. Ben Boxer. So I'm setting Ben Boxer in the present day. I'm making him sort of a cross between Iron Man, Cyborg, Steel, and Alpha Flight's Madison Jeffries, uh, well, his version of Box, if all mm -hmm. those influences make sense. Uh, the Cyclo heart of the original story is more or less a nanite factory implanted in Ben, who is African-American in my version. To give the line a little more diversity, uh, this issue is has m many women, more women than in the previous line, but it's pretty white bread. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the lone survivor of these experiments. Or, or is he? I think the nanites will rebuild other guinea pigs, just rebuild them wrong and dangerous to act as enemies in the series. He becomes a synthetic man who can rebuild parts of his body to emulate almost any machine, You know, rebuilding is the series' theme, I think, because after his accident, he struggles to rebuild his life. Uh, seeing as the experiments were deemed a failure, he's gone bankrupt, uh, his obsession with science destroyed his marriage and friendships and so on. So I want this to be someone who is trying to reclaim his life after what is really a sort of accident that makes him an outcast and different. He's rebuilding his life. He has a body that can rebuild itself or reconfigure itself. So that's sort of the themes that I want to, to play with in this series. I, I went more uh, traditional, but uh, I, I mixed some things together. I figured, uh, again, he uh, I had mixed the Great Disaster with uh, the Barren Earth, so he is a survivor of the Great Disaster, and he is on the Barren Earth at some point in time. Uh, he was created by Dr. Canis from Commandy's DNA to try and synthetically rebirth the human race. Uh, he's got the ability to turn his skin to... Metal, and he leads a group of freedom fighters against armies of evolved animal men led by the ruthless hunger dogs. Because that's just too cool of a name to leave behind, right? So, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> hey, but yeah, but he learns that because of his cyclotronic heart or whatever it was called, he is the anti-life equation. So when he goes back in time, he actually gives Darkseid the key to Earth's destruction unwittingly. Uh, so because he is the synthetic man. And I, I guess I got a little bit of Picard from uh, mm. <laughs> from watching Picard thrown in there. Oh, he's a synthetic it's a synthetic man. They're going to bring about the, the end of everything. It's a little Romulan paranoia there, I guess. But uh, I figured why not, uh, you know, for the story and art, uh, get the all reds, you know, Lee, Michael and Laura. Just let them go crazy with this and in a Jack Kirby concept with, uh, you know, animal like Planet of the Apes, commandy type stuff and and crazy tech. So I thought that would yeah. be fun. There are a number of artists that sort of that work really well with Kirby creations i think the allreds are definitely up there but let's stay with kirby we have to stay with kirby for a, a, a bit of a, <laughs> a few more so big yeah. barda is next yes big barda is the older sister beautiful dreamer she was kidnapped by granny goodness and raised on apocalypse she leads the female fury battalion as as in the, the traditional uh storyline Uh, she brings them to Earth to begin Darkseid's plans to turn Earth into Apocalypse because I figured, you know, nobody else could ever decide what Darkseid was really after. So I figured I'd just combine it's the anti-life equation and the whole turning Earth into Apocalypse thing from Superman, the animated series. So I just uh, I'll figure that out later. But uh, she meets and falls in love with a human escape artist named Scott Free, who trained alongside a young Bruce Wayne, the ah. second. She begins to remember her real past and turn against her team who then hunt her down. So then it's Big Barda versus the female Furies. 
because she's basically working against them, but they're on Earth now. So it's uh, the stage has changed for the stories. And I would definitely keep the female Furies as like the lead antagonist. And, you know, she's she's trying to stay one step ahead of them in her effort to stop Darkseid, but they're always nipping at her heels. I enlisted uh, Rich Fogel, who uh, Cindy and I interviewed on uh, the JLU cast, who uh, has a definite deft hand with Kirby Creations figured him and Bruce Tim could co-plot it and Bruce Tim could draw this because I know he loves to draw Big Barda. So. <laughs> that's a, that'll be a beautiful comic. I'm yeah. not very far away from you uh, on this one. Uh, I think that if Batman is my Batman, duh, uh, Azrael is my Superman, then Big Barda is my Wonder Woman. You know, she's mm. a warrior woman like her really could be on that level. So instead of Paradise Island, she comes from Apocalypse. Something's happened. She's seen, something's opened her eyes and she's seen the evil she was bred to do. And so she escapes to Earth to foil Darkseid's plans here, you know, whether via intergang or various emissaries, as was usual, really, in the original Fourth World stories. We may think Earth is pretty wretched at times, but for her, it's a virtual ethical paradise. You know, so she's like, wow, this is a great place, sort of. So I want that wonder to come from her and to see us through her eyes, which would make us more an, an ideal in a way. And the series goes the arrow route uh, with regular flashbacks that show her youth, her former life as a female fury, and that informs what's happening in the present. Fish out of water stories. Eventually, this will lead her to meeting a human escape artist called Scott Free, falling in love. But I'm really taking it slow on this relationship because he's afraid of commitment, wants to escape the relationship. Ah. I, I want to I wanna play with that idea. But Big Barda just happens to be the only thing he can never escape. So mm. I want this to be like that kind of love affair that is driven by a forceful woman while the man is more insecure. This is Antony and Cleopatra from Shakespeare's. So maybe not as um, heightened. I, I think, uh, you know... I don't think Big Barda is Cleopatra drama queen level, but but right. still, I, I we we've seen them in a domestic context. They're almost immediately domestic in the original comics. You know, bang, married. So I want I want to see a courtship, you know, out of this. So that's what's going on in the supporting cast kind of stuff. But obviously, the action stuff, the a plots are big, bold powerful action with a lot of fourth world characters nice so uh, here's one is it our last i think, <laughs> I think so. it's the last okay the last kirby creation here is big bear uh, and as i said earlier i'm completely divorcing the forgotten people from the team uh, and repurposing the ips this one is very repurposed as per kirby's vision big bear is a super strong mountain of a man who loves adventure and rides a so-called super cycle has nothing to do with cycles <laughs> That isn't a cycle at all. In my version, he's the hero of the permafrost. He has Inuit roots. Uh, he rides his superpowered Kirby Tech snowmobile uh, to almost any place that is snowbound in the northern hemisphere. His main patrol area is northern Canada and Alaska, but you might see him cross the North Pole to Russia and Scandinavia or during the winter. And I think I think the book would really respect the season it is released in. Uh, he would be able to come down into other parts of Canada and the U.S. that that gets snow. Big Bear is a nomadic hero who makes friends easily, so he might have friends embedded wherever he goes, uh, but he never stays for long. The Lone Ranger of the ice, more or less what I'm going for. Nice, nice. I got a little vibe of the uh, movie Aquaman, too. Sure. There, yeah, he's yeah. Like the <laughs> what about you? He starts out semi-traditionally. He came with Beautiful Dreamer. 
to warn of the impending invasion, as I said in her entry, but they're separated. My big change here, well, one of them is uh, he's actually a were-bear. He actually changes into an alien bear-like creature, a big red bear. I just thought that'd be cool. He's turned his super cycle, which can transform into a tractor trailer, and now he travels the country searching for his missing lover, beautiful dreamer, righting wrongs and developing understanding along the way. So kind of like BJ and the bear meets Shazam, the old Shazam TV okay. show. <laughs> and he's a were-bear. BJ and the, the uh, big bear, yeah. BJ and the Big Bear. Yeah, maybe I'll give him a yeah, monkey or something. I don't know. Uh, he's uh, he's written by Jeff Parker with art by Tom Grummet. So I, I don't know. The truck driving thing, I figured, hey, I, you know, slide into my whole I love Razorback US1 mm. thing that we keep joking about. So why not? <laughs> Smoking the Bandit, of course, too. <laughs> sure. And I'd read anything by that particular creative team, I have to say. So uh, in deciding who would get the treatment, I did make a choice because I decided that Bizarro was a villain or else we would have had two Bizarro series. <laughs> But, you know, that, that Bizarro was a villain, whatever, even if he's become sympathetic at times and if he's had stories where he was more of a hero or anti-hero. But we do have Bizarro World, which is a location and thus has to be covered. So what is your Bizarro World series? My Bizarre World series is a parody comic, like a Mad Magazine-type uh, comic. It's hosted by Bizarro. It rips out all the comic tropes, old, new, etc., maybe TV, movies as well. Bizarro, you know, it comes in and introduces, and of course, the whole, you know, the Bizarro brand explains how, you know, they skew whatever they're covering. So I thought it fit. Uh, and... I thought, you know, we got Bizarro, so you have to in some way acknowledge Superman. So Superman appears as an aggravated neighbor in the title. He's basically like uh, Mr. Wilson yelling at, uh, <laughs> at Bizarro's Dennis the Menace over the fence, basically. Uh, it's the only book Batmite will allow him to appear in because, you know, Batmite, of course, figures Batman's better than Superman. I, I would not, this is not me, this is Batmite, because I would I would use Superman, it just, you know, I, I'm trying to play by the rules of he's not in this book, per se. So, story and art by various, I would include a lot of new and upcoming writers and artists, a lot of indie writers and artists, just to keep this as fresh and kind of on the edge as possible, but, you know, still accessible. It could be that comic like Mad Magazine was that, you know, it's like, oh, uh, this is a little bit edgier than my, you know, my uh, Brave and the Bold uh, or my DC Comics Presents and should I be reading this type thing, you know. So I'd, I'd keep that kind of feel about right. it. Like those, uh, there are like two graphic novels or whatever they are. It's very much like that, the Bizarro World, uh, except yep. as a monthly. I, I do like it. Yep. And uh, if I may suggest, if one of Superman's neighbors is Bizarro, on the other side would be Ambush Bug. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, obviously I looked at Tales of the Bizarro World by Jerry Siegel as potential do, do we revive that uh, because they were amusing but really profoundly silly and to this day i think their legacy is that whenever anyone talks about it is how inconsistent the definition of the word opposite is as it relates to the series so it's not yeah. doing it any favors as a backup feature it's fine but i don't think it can sustain a monthly series as is so that's not where i was going so instead here's where my brain went There's a place here on this side of the border that I'm not going to name to protect the innocent that I called Le Monde à l'envers, the upside down world, where uh, if you meet someone profoundly uncool that's from there, 
Uh, it's a surefire bet. They're beloved and thought cool in their own community. And if you're cool here, if you go there, everyone looks at you with, you know, gives you an evil eye. I'm not, I'm not going to name it. I think it's, it's obvious for people who know. All opinions and attitudes are basically contrary. It is bizarro world to me. So I thought, what if this book takes place on a parallel Earth in which Earth is actually opposite? So that's that's Earth 3, right? Where the yeah. Justice League's analog is the crime syndicate and people like Luthor and the Joker, or analogs thereof, are the good guys. So that's my idea, actually. An Astro City-type book where from arc to arc we might follow different heroes and villains, not just the better-known Earth 3 characters. But, you know, I want to see the evil Johnny Quick versus a band of heroic rogues in Central City and what their fourth world is like or or the Nazi Sergeant Rock versus the heroic Iron Major and yes at some point I think it would be quite special if Ultraman would be badly duplicated and there would be a Frankenstein like Bizarro that would rise as a tragic hero so we would have a Bizarro in there for sure even if it's not this world's Bizarro I would not have the villains have already won like Earth 3 lore would have it, uh, or all the crazy Columbus was an American who discovered Europe stuff. That's just, that's just again, absurd opposites. <laughs> just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, Booth, Booth was assassinated by Abe Lincoln. I always love yeah. that one. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, this, yeah. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> really, the gimmick is just to see morally reversed characters in action. So, uh, you know, who would be the heroes? Who would be the villains? But I'd still make it like heroes on top, like a normal comic. Maybe it'd be a bit darker, but it I wouldn't have it already be the authority, you know, sort of. So that's what I would do with Bizarro World. Black Canary, you could give, uh, you've already inserted the Golden Age Black Canary into the storyline. You could right. give her the series. You could have two Black Canaries and give them both the series. Or you could give a second Black Canary a series. It's really up to you. Where are we going with Black Canary as as a title, I would do the uh, the title would feature both. It would alternate between the original Black Canary, the the mother and the daughter. Of course, I established that you know the original Black Canary married Bruce Wayne, so she's Dinah Drake Wayne. She's the mother of Laurel Wayne. That's you know Black Canary two and and Bruce the second. You know it'll alternate, like I said, back and forth. Black Canary two, um, she is frequently teamed with Batgirl uh, in her title, and she rebuffs the advances of Batman copycat Green Arrow. Uh, he keeps coming around, and she's like, I don't want nothing to do with you, dude. Get lost. And Green Arrow is kind of a I kind of went with the the way the Brave and the Bold kind of treated Green Arrow. They really, the the animated series, they really slid into that. He's a Batman copycat quite <laughs> a bit. And uh, I thought that was kind of fun. So I thought, well, why not do that here? And kind of as a, you know, like Raspberry to the Arrow series, which was basically a Batman, although I enjoyed it, but it was a Batman series with a different title, basically. Yeah, yeah older Dinah is uh, still alive as well. And her and Bruce both, I wanted to save that for this, but... They are both the man and woman in the chair. They're running things. I thought, you know, traditionally one of them would be gone, but I thought, you know what? They've never, we've never seen that. We've never seen an older couple of heroes, like a, a romantic couple, stay together, stay in the game some way. And uh, of course, this whole thing's very generational to bring back that aspect of DC that they flushed down the toilet with the new 52 and, and, uh, I thought, you know, why not? Why not have them both here? And uh, Bruce the First can occasionally be in charge over in this book or, or, you know, give advice in this book. And then Dinah shows up in another. 
So uh, I just thought that would be a, a nice change because I, I played back and forth with, well, do I kill off one of them? Like, no, just let them both let them both live and see, explore that dynamic of this older couple that are still in it. So I've enlisted Gail Simone again, and uh, I figured the Golden Age stories could be drawn by Rick Burchette and uh, get Amanda Connor to do the modern Black Canary oh, nice. stories. Nice. For me, I, I definitely only keep one around since they're basically the same character. You know? yeah, we are, yeah, they were, especially back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's really the Golden Age model. That's the one I really like. Uh, brought forward, basically, living now. Uh, no green arrow to be seen for Miles. A motorcycle chick kicks ass. Sure, there is a canary cry, but it's a bit of a tech like the, the, the collar that uh, Laurel wears in the Arrow show, as opposed right. to a mutant ability. Part of the supporting cast is police detective Larry Lance, who's trying to track this vigilante down and falls in love with her methods and her mystery uh, more than the actual person. It's more of a, I mean, this is a comic book trope. We see that often. And it harks back to her first appearance. I want Johnny Thunder to be in this. So no Thunderbolt, except that's what he calls, ironically, his little smart car. He's a geeky comic relief assistant in the Crusade. So instead of a flower shop, this brings me to this thought, instead of a flower shop, they both work at a comic book store. And they're inspired by superhero comics uh, to take down organized crime in their neighborhood, especially drug dealers at first. And, you know, it's like could be a, a neighborhood problem. Johnny really isn't physical. So uh, Dinah Drake is, you know, always at the gym. She has her own bike. She likes to cosplay. Therefore, she already has the clothes. So she becomes the front woman for their crime-fighting operation. You, you actually made Johnny Thunder useful. Congratulations. <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's the comic book guy. He's just a comic book nerd, which I think fits, you know. Okay, yes. we're in the final stretch, really. Black Condor. You keep him in the Golden Age, you bring him forward, is he completely redesigned? He is probably the most changed because I he was the last guy I come up with because it kind of like everything I tried to do with him, like well, I already did that with this other character. So I kept coming back to this and I'm like, well, it's this notion and I had to tweak it in my head to make it not like another character that you'll probably think of. But he's an African-American hero who emerged in the 70s during Batman's long absence, uh, Batman, Black Canary, Robin, all their absence. Uh, he's a Shaft-like detective. He's got one gimmick. He might have slight mutant powers, very slight, but his gimmick is he has an advanced flying squirrel suit type, you know, flying wings underneath his arms that can, he can use to glide and fly. But the thing is, he wears authentic 70s attire. Uh, his outfit's different in every issue. The glider wings pop out from, you know, beneath it, and sometimes it might even be built into a super fly collar. And I would get my friend Brian Heiler, who runs Platt Stallions and puts up all those wonderful, horrible 70s fashion catalog pages to provide uh, uh, resource material for the creative team on this. I would have a funky black exploitation like action comedy vibe about it. It'd be a lot of fun and just steer into all that great uh, super cheese of the of the 70s. And uh, I figured I'd get Christopher Priest and uh, Arvell Jones to do it. So I just, I, th I think it'd be a lot of fun. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you're really like populating every decade, you know, with their own heroes. That's interesting. Yeah. This was also my last one to crack. And for similar reasons. While Black Condor's origin story, it's, he's a flying Tarzan raised by birds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard to okay what do, what do i do with this uh, it's highly ridiculous one thing i really like though is that he's a righteous member of congress in his secret identity so 
You remember when I said Batgirl in DC? It's really mm-hmm. so she can cross paths with Senator Richard Gray, who I also intend to be a secret financial backer of the Blackhawks. For a while, I was like, is this a DC Aces? But I know I got too many of those. This guy is kind of secretly involved in other books' DNA. So, so yes, I am bringing him to the present day. Uh, I'm keeping the silly origin. It's at least what he thinks happened, because the real source, whether radioactive or mutation, he just doesn't know. To his mind... He was raised by birds, and that explains it. He's also the first openly superheroic member of Congress. So it's not going to be a secret identity game for him, which is why I, I said Senator Gray, not Senator Wright, uh, as in the comics. He was elected right. on the back of being the superhero of, I'm inventing this, Alpine City, Colorado. He's pretty chill. He comes from a place it's all ski resorts and such, but he's just enough of a celebrity in the state that he won the nomination and the election despite his silly origin and really simple power to fly. So the series has some high-flying action, but I like it to have political satire as well. As well, It's just a bit ridiculous and balloon-bursting. Think Animal Man meets Veep. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I can see a right-wing uh, opponent say, do you want your senator to be raised by condors? You know? <laughs> yeah, right-wing. You see, so... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there there is some play there. And I think we we live in highly politicized times. So I think political satire (laughs) works if you get like the right writer for it. And you you know me, I don't care if my my comics are polarizing. (laughs) You don't like it, don't buy it. Um, so I did mention the Blackhawks here, but we have at least two entries with Blackhawks. The, the, the book actually has four entries for Blackhawks. Blackhawk, Blackhawks, Blackhawk, the plane, and Blackhawk Island. Two of those yep. we don't need to touch. But for Blackhawk, uh, obviously this is my DC Aces book that takes place in the 1940s, where, yes, he's accompanied by an international team of pilots. In fact, the series would track the creation of the Blackhawks. Uh, recruiting all the pilots, finding and, and landscaping Blackhawk Island, all of that. The focus would be on the Pacific Theater in order to make it really stand apart from the Balloon Buster title, which does take place over Europe, right? So I didn't reinvent the wheel with this one. Yeah, me neither. I, I figure it's it's definitely not broken, and I just like to see more Blackhawks. So it's, you know, Golden Age history mostly intact, other than they were... They were basically the closest thing to a superhero team there was because there were there's no JSA. Blackhawk and the team did uh, you know work with Batman, Robin, uh, and other superheroes. The like Black Canary at the time that was pretty much it. But they worked with them. Of course, they had Blackhawk Island. The comic I would set mostly it would mostly be set in the Golden Age. You know, slightly maybe post war uh, into the 50s. Uh, at some point, there of course is that strange disturbance on Black Hawk Island. All the heroes are pulled into it, and then some heroes from other times and space are pulled in, and uh, they all emerge later. But Black Hawk is the one hero who sacrificed uh, his life to uh, to save the rest of them. So he becomes this even. He is the the martyr of this uh, universe. He's the what Barry Allen right. was <laughs> in those years after Crisis, right? The saint at this point. I had Mark Evanier already on another book, so hey, he knows how to write Blackhawk, so why not enlist him? And uh, I figured uh, Michael Cho, he does that Darwin Cook type artwork about better than anybody since Darwin's no longer with us. So I, uh, I, I just wanted to get him. I just think that would be a beautiful book. Okay, I, you really thought out the creative teams. I, I appreciate. I, I can actually see the books in my mind. So I wish I had that talent. I just don't. 
so um, Black Hawks. So yes. How, how does that differ? Okay, this differs because it's set in the present and it's called Nightwing and the oh. Blackhawks. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So current team led by the former Robin, Dick Grayson, who is now going by the name Nightwing. He was inspired by Blackhawk Sacrifice and he decided to take over leading of the team. Uh, there may be a few of the uh, the guys, maybe Olaf still around and uh, Hendrix maybe, you know, well, Hendrix probably too old, but well, they came through time. So, so maybe some of the old guys are still there. Uh, on the support crew, but he's got a new team of uh, aviators, and I tried to pull heroes from DC that had either uh, aviation background, they they were shown flying planes at different times, or they had a military background. So uh, the Black Hawk team consists of Kate Wayne, Roy Harper, who of course flew the aeroplane from time to time, Hal Jordan, of course, Ace Morgan, Julia Pennyworth, somebody long forgotten because she was the daughter of Mademoiselle Marie, John Stewart, Larry Trainer, and Diana Prince. Uh, so uh, that's the uh, Black Hawk team of the modern era. I don't know if Nightwing would wear a mask or anything, but he would just have the code name Nightwing. I just Nightwing and the Blackhawks stuck in my head, and I'm like, ooh, that's a cool title. Uh, <laughs> the title would be written by Chuck Dixon, again, Nightwing in Aviation Connection, and I would pull in a guy that unfortunately left comics back in the 90s, I think, for a film career that worked with Chuck a lot, Rodolfo uh, DiMaggio. Uh, I really liked his artwork and uh, his technical kind of uh, way of drawing things I think would look really cool with all the jets and planes in this book. Well, I like your cast. I really like how you assembled that. <laughs> it's a good way to bring in characters. It's almost an Elseworlds kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, thing. For me, uh, with Blackhawks, plural, uh, DC Aces brings the high-flying action to the modern day, and the group has retained its independence from governments, acts as peacekeepers, who can pretty much uh, go anywhere to fight terrorism and aerial piracy, uh, help people all over the world. By now, I think Blackhawk Island floats high in the air. It's like a mobile aircraft carrier, like uh, the Shield helicarrier. Mm. You know, the New 52 did the Blackhawks like this. I, I don't think the series exactly fulfilled its its potential, but, you know, supported by a label, DC Aces, uh, that makes the stories part of a continuum, which I, I felt like, you know, it, this is DC's version of G.I. Joe, basically. And if it felt more part of the universe, which it didn't in the New 52, it felt very apart from the rest. I think there it might work. I would totally poach your idea for <laughs> for test pilots and, and, you know, like these different characters uh, that aren't in this issue. The Captain X and, um, you know... Yeah. Pop Harrigan. <laughs> Let's go get all the aviator go. heroes and bring them forward into the present. But this is where you put your Hal Jordan, for sure. This is where Diana Prince is uh, inspired, I, I must say. Well, you know, what? Well, I think what really did it for me was I, I thought back to that uh, when they did the Pocket Universe story in Superman, when uh, the Phantom Zone villains were ravaging the Earth, and you had like right. Luthor and Bruce Wayne and Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. That's what, that's what kind of popped in my head. I thought, that, I thought that was really cool, a cool way to go with those characters. So that inspired this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> so if you thought I only had three DC Aces books, that's not much of a subline. We're up to our bonus books, basically. And there are not a lot of villains in the first couple of issues, really. That's why we're doing like 20-some titles and other 
issues of who's who it's more like 15 because there are so many heroes up front i guess that have a or b <laughs> at the start of their names since there was no point giving bizarro a series because i already had a bizarro world story i'm using blackhawk island that half page to motivate my fourth dc aces book so this is more of an anthology with each trade ready arc uh, about a different era in the blackhawks history between World War II and today. So with different rosters, different wars, even at some point a take on the ridiculous superhero era of the book. The listener. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're, we're going to have helicopter riding pilots in Korea or Vietnam. We're going to take part in the space race. It's going to be like the uh, all the aviation stories we cannot tell in between Balloon Buster, Blackhawk, and the modern-day Blackhawks. That's my idea, but I, I wonder where you went with it. I was leading up to, uh, in, you know, that, that whole time disturbance thing on Black Hawk Island, where it would go to. So eventually these heroes would, these different characters, sometimes maybe some of them emerged in one, like Batman, uh, Black Canary, and Robin emerged at one time, and then years later after their kids were born, then another group of heroes, like, make it through the time portal, and they dump out on Black Hawk Island. So... Then you have Black Canary 2 in her own book, Black Canary and the Outsiders, which features a team of Azriel, Balloon Buster, Janal from the Barren Earth. She would probably join later. Batlash, Big Bear, Beautiful Dreamer, Big Barda, and Black Condor. So the men in the chair, men, women in the chair are Bruce Wayne, the first, and Diana Lance. So this would be my super team book of all these. And they very much are outsiders <laughs> because they are either aliens or they're time-tossed characters. And I figured, I know how much you love Batman and Outsiders, Siskoid, so I figured you'd appreciate it. <laughs> and it would be born out of that Blackhawk Island storyline, so... Yes, it would. Yes. And it would be, I figured, you know, as much as Ryan and I, you know, did on Nightcast, I'd hand it over to uh, Mike W. Barr with art by Alan Davis. Reunite, since Jim Apparel is no longer with us, reunite the other classic Outsiders team. So who wouldn't want to see a book with all those characters drawn by Alan Davis? There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listeners, it's kind of up to you now. It's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And I, I might talk about that later in a later episode. I'm not going to go through it here, but a lot of listeners have proposed their own series for episode one and uh, done a lot of work. They're almost like audition tapes. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe they'll turn up on this show. So I hope you had fun, Chris. I did. It was fun. I got stuck a little bit, and, and I and I went back and listened to the first episode, and I had misunderstood the rules. Even though you, you wrote them out very plainly, I misunderstood them. And so I had to go back and rethink the titles, because I had all these other titles, and, and I'm like, oh, I got to give Otto Man his own book? Gosh. And then... <laughs> But then, but I still managed to get all my concepts in, so I I made it work. I, I made it through the thought experiment, so it was it was fun. It's a little bit like uh, the the Star Trek bracket shows. If it doesn't hurt, it's not one of my programs. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for trying the experiment with me. And guys, until next time, who's editing? We are.
when I was starting Batman, um, and I was freaking out because I was so just terrified of the book, I bumped into Grant Morrison, and Grant Morrison said to me, you know how you're going to get over your jitters? You've got to give your Batman a birth and a death. Give him your version of the origin story and give him your Dark Knight Returns. 